Well, hello to you, my dear friends. And of course, you know where we are. This is the Sound Perspective podcast. Uh, my name's Alfie Faber. I'm a filmmaker in Sydney. And on this podcast, I chat to the super talented people who combine sight and sound in film. How fun. Today, we're chatting about Baz Luhrmann's new Elvis biopic with its sound supervisor, Wayne Pashley, and its composer and music producer, Elliot Wheeler. Wayne Pashley is an absolute OG of the podcast. He's actually, I think he's been on more than anyone else, other than me, obviously. Um, He was in my first episode about Mad Max, uh, on which he was a sound supervisor, and he was also in episode 14, where we chatted about his mixing work on the film Outback. Um, I met up with Wayne at his studio in Sydney, Big Bang Sound Design, for an in-person chat. Uh, Elliot Skyped in from America, where he's currently on a holiday with his family. So you'll notice that we've got, you know, nice, clear, locally recorded audio from Wayne. And because Elliot didn't have a laptop and we recorded the Skype chat that he was using on his phone, it's not as clear... But, you know, it was a pleasure to be able to have him join the chat, and I'm really grateful he was able to make the time when he's on holiday with the fam. Uh, during the in- the interview, you can kind of hear him wandering through, I think he was at a farm in, a, in somewhere in America, and he would be, like, walking away from a random lawnmower or kids playing. He was a great sport about it. So thanks heaps, Elliot. After we had finished the interview, uh, Wayne showed me something that we hadn't even had time to discuss in the interview, which was one of the refurbished microphones from the 1960s that they used to record Austin Butler's performances uh, throughout the Elvis movie. And um, Wayne told me that in every scene where Austin is performing as Elvis, the vintage microphone he's holding is functional. It, uh, it, they refurbished all these really old mics that Elvis had used, not literally, the same model, um, and they were recording Austin's performances, which ended up in the final film. Um, so, of course, I had to record a little snippet with one of them. Now, Wayne, what is this mic called again? This is a Shure 55 microphone. That's cool. One of Elvis's favourite ones. This was the microphone used at the Hayride sequence in the new Elvis movie. You can see a photo uh, Wayne took of me using the microphone on my Instagram. Uh, Feel free to go follow me there. I'm at Alfie Faber. That's also my handle or name on Letterboxd, uh, where I have a great time uh, reviewing movies. Uh, Anyway, enough from silly old me. Here is Wayne and Elliot. Wayne Pashley and Elliot Wheeler, thank you so much for making the time to chat. A pleasure. Thank pleasure. you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, cool. Um, so, um, the both of you have worked with Baz uh, before, and before we chat about Elvis specifically, do you want to talk a bit about your history working with him and uh, when that started? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll, well, I'll start if you like. The... Um... Uh, my history with Baz goes back to Strictly Ballroom, actually. So uh, we have a, a now a 30-year relationship. And, um, you know, Baz, Baz has been such a wonderful, you know, uh, director to work with because he is a master storyteller. His leadership is astounding. 
you know, um, you know, all those words like he's a visionary and a maximalist and a risk taker and an innovator and all those things, you end up getting sucked into Baz's magical world of filmmaking. And I've got to tell you, it is, it is one of the greatest experiences uh, uh, that I've had in my career and particularly working on Elvis, which has been a career highlight without question. So, um, yeah, you know, his passion takes over, you know, and you get swept into it and, and then it becomes all about the journey, you know. Um, when, you, when, when you're doing a story like Elvis Presley, it's like you, you just know you're in for a ride. Yeah. I started working with Baz in the Gatsby film um, and then sort of just kept on going from there through. We did a musical together, then we did the Get Down together and, and now Elvis, um, which we were on for about five years. And look, I, I just second Wayne's Wayne's comments. He's he's so he does absolutely sweep you up in his creative energy, um, and just has a way of inspiring the people that he works on. Um, that's I think absolutely unique. And also from a musical point of view, he puts music at such a forefront of his storytelling, um, which is a real gift for for a composer and music producer. That's and he he really does. I think Wayne, you'd agree. He, he's although I sort of say he puts music first. Really, he puts story first, and he just uses whatever medium he can use to put that story at, at, at the absolute premium. So if it's if it's sound needs to do something, it's sound. If it's music needs to come in and do some some lifting, it's there. If, and then he'll often get an idea from one one department and will run into the next department and show editorial and go, oh, okay, editorial, look at this. Like musical sound have done this, it's amazing. Let's change the picture to do this, and then he'll call Catherine Martin in on on design and say, okay, well, let's give me this idea, and then that'll feed back into the other departments. And it is really just a, a captivating and contagious way of working, and extremely organic. But it's um, there. It's very rare to meet a, a director who is so versed in music and embraces storytelling through music in the way that Baz does. Oh yeah, yeah. And just to to back that up, like. You know, uh, every department that that you know the the story you know is is engrossing. You know, he will use every angle uh, 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 in order to into into order to sort of like reach his vision. I don't really look at Baz's work as as making movies. He makes theatre. Mm. You know, he makes opera. Mm. You know, and and he'll use every department in order to. To create a cohesive harmony mm. f- for every every department, mm. and um, that's what's such a great a great gift to work with someone like that because it's, you know, at the end of the day he's looking for, you know, an, a, an audio visual wonder. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I th- I mean I saw Elvis uh, in a VMAX theater with Atmos and stuff and. Like it was such a intense audio visual experience. It it was a lot more than just a story. It was like, yeah, it's about spectacle, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. As I think Wayne was saying, it's he is so intent on creating a universe in, in whatever storytelling sort of world we happen to be in, and it's that's why he goes to the level of detail that he does. It's like if 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 there's one thing that cracks the the facade in the universe, and the storytelling falls apart. And Wayne, I remember when we talked about like Mad Max, I, I know you're a big fan of like starting the sound design work in prep and Wayne and Elliot, what, um, 
how did what was the prep work like for this film how did you start working on it in advance well um when i first met baz in two uh, for, for, uh, for elvis uh he came here uh to our studio we had lunch i i hadn't read the script at that point and he basically just wanted to come and pitch <laughs> in a way uh what what he was about to uh, you know embark upon and and I imagined that we were going to take a slice of Elvis Presley's life. Mm. That's what I thought we were going to do. Mm. Then uh, I asked him the question. I said, "Well, uh, having not read the script, you know, what what part of Elvis's life are you going to portray?" And he said, "All of it." <laughs> At that moment, um, yeah, my head span off uh, my shoulders and just went, "Wow!" And I've been a massive fan of Elvis's since I was a kid. Yeah, cool. You know, so for me, this was like a full circle sort of situation, yeah. like in the career and yeah, you know, my, uh, my artistic career, if you like. And then, you know, uh, we started talking about it, and and as he was speaking, I was trying to imagine if we're going doing a. Uh, uh, what he described as the great American operatic tragedy. Okay, and we're going across the, you know, from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, as well as uh, the, uh, the 90s, starting the film with Colonel Tom Parker having just had a heart attack. Mm. Uh, you know, you kind of go, wow, we, we are, we are cross, we're crossing the sphere of America's kind of cultural change. Mm. You know, with uh, uh, all that stuff where sex, drugs, rock and roll were, were now going to be portrayed through the eyes of both Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker. Mm. And, um, you know, by that, I just started to think, well, what is Elvis? Well, Elvis is the music. Mm. Elvis is the vehicles. Mm. Elvis is the crowds. And the crowds, that, that's where I sort of like sort of locked in. The, my first thing was like, Okay, so the crowds were everything because we're seeing the beginning of a cultural shift mm. across the world, really, uh, by selling, you know, sex uh, ultimately, yeah. and and a uh, and a, f a fusion of musical styles that have never been heard before, mm. you know, and so it was sort of a remarkable sort of, you know, spin out moment mm. of of how are we going to approach this. And so I just started to break down the the notion of if they're going to to film and and um, capture Elvis's performances both from the fifties and through the sixties and in, into the seventies, uh, really the crowds were a major major component for mm. me because it had to have an emotional shift. It had to uh, uh, <coughs> across each of those the, those different parts of his life, and. With the music itself, knowing that Baz was going to also incorporate not only Elvis Presley tracks of, of, in, in terms of its authenticity, but also combine, as he did with Gatsby, mm. with a modern take on stuff. And knowing Elliot, mm. uh, Elliot and I had a, a meeting about it and, and it was going to have to be a symphony mm. of, of crowd interpretation with the music and following those characters and, and, and the, 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 the love and the destruction uh, of the man himself, ultimately. Because the crowds, ultimately, you know, the argument could be that 
kind of killed Elvis in the end for his love for the crowd, mm. you know, and, and his need to, you know, that's where he found peace mm. in, uh, in live performance. So that was one of the biggies. And, of course, there's all the regular stuff. Um, Baz wanted authenticity mm. in all the props and all the vehicles, uh, you know, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So we recorded everything mm. we could lay our hands on, all the cameras. There was cameras everywhere, you know, uh, the, the, the vehicles, recorded yeah. all those. So every onset vehicle went up to Queensland, recorded all those, uh, everything from uh, the amps, the guitars, handling the the amplifiers all that stuff mm. and with um with the music department we were really this is the first movie i can honestly say we were joined at the hip <laughs> from beginning to end yeah and and we we worked together um with elliot and his wonderful music editing editorial team uh throughout mm. you know and which which was a complete joy because when we got to the final mix there was really no surprises. Mm. Baz knew what he was going to be getting and what he wanted to hear. Mm. And Elliot, I imagine for you, like um, part of uh, that prep work for you was not just creative, but as a music executive, it would have been a lot of like what you could get your hands on and what you were going to use and the licensing and all that stuff. Yeah, what was it like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we, again, as Wayne said, we, we were lucky to have a, a really fantastic team around us and um there are rca and the, the lovely people there and, and legacy um were very kind and opened up the vaults to all of the elvis material um for us and we had rob santos at legacy and and ernst jorgensen who's literally written the book on on the recordings of elvis um were consulting for us and so they were an invaluable resource where we could sort of go and ask them we think this that he recorded this here, did they? And we're like, oh, no, he, that was actually a rehearsal. And they pointed to the right direction, to the, to the right takes and sent it over to us. But at the very beginning of the process, it was really sitting down with Baz and, and my wonderful music editor, Jamison Shaw, um, and just doing listening to the entire catalogue, like getting through the, the 800 or so recordings that Elvis did and getting our heads around them and going, okay, well, which... Which performance we're we going to use? Is it going to be a rehearsal take? Is it going to be the live take? Is it going to be a combination of a studio and a live take? Um, and also looking at the fidelity of the stems and whether or not we could actually use them or whether we were going to have to reproduce them. And that led to a whole another series of questions like how do you reproduce Elvis in a way that's faithful to the original recordings in a way that the, the estate and the, the family and, and the fans are going to still respond to as being Elvis Presley? but in a way that also allows contemporary audiences to have a cinematic experience of, of what that would have been like to be there in the audience as you're experiencing Elvis for the first time. Um, and so that was, that was a real process. And also having to address the, the race issue, which is something that you have to address with Elvis's relationship with music and looking at how we were going to... I shout out also if this background noise gets too much as well. Um, my apologies for this. Someone's decided to do a lot of mowing on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Um, looking at doing, um, yeah, the, the the sort of the gospel and the Pentecostal elements of the of the Elvis story as well. And we ended up going over to Nashville and recording um, in RCA Studios A there with Dave Cobb, who's an incredible producer in Nashville. Um, and that was a studio where Elvis did a lot of his recordings, particularly of his gospel work. Um, and it was amazing, Dave. 
we, we sort of went to town and every piece of gear was the authentic piece of gear. The players were amazing. Uh, we had the most incredible um, gospel singers led by Shannon Sanders. Um, we had some of the McCrary sisters, some of the Settles Connection, the Randolph family. Um, Shonka Dukare was in there. And one of the fantastic first experiences we had was going to this little church a couple of hours out of Nashville. It was a little, it was 300-year-old church, an absolute sort of sweat box. It was a really hot day. And we just had these performers in there and we'd feed them the sort of sketches that I'd done of how, how we wanted the tracks to work, Baz would get some context for the scene. And these people would just sing and they sang for all day. And you sort of, you'd stop for a break and you'd, you'd walk out. And the next thing you'd, you'd hear, they'd sort of start it up again. <laughs> it was such an organic process and they'd just like, you'd sort of sprint back in there and eventually just went like, just leave the, leave the machines running all day. Um, <laughs> And so that was amazing, sort of going over there and getting that. And then, and then we found Austin during an extensive audition process. Um, and that really answered the question for us of how are we going to do this? And it was We sort of decided at that point that up to about 1968, it was going to be gospel performing. We retracked the band tracks, um, being as authentic as we could, but still getting the separation that you need for a cinematic experience. And Austin was going to sing the tracks um, up to 68. And after that, we would be able to use Elvis stems, um, and and be able to blend Austin's voice in. But to do that, we had to put together a fantastic team. We had Cameron Bruce, who was the on-set music supervisor, Wade Kieran, who was um, doing playback and was, would set up these incredible concert playback systems, basically, and helped David Lee, who was our sound recordist, um, do some recording of sort of like, basically like a, a desk mix that he would send to David. Um, and then in terms of the licensing, Anton Monstead, who's been working with for Baz, with Baz for, for 30 years and is so experienced and, and a wonderful music supervisor. And he really, um, he had to tread the, tread the very, very um, delicate and um, sorry, sort of very, the, the licensing side of things basically. And, um, and he did an amazing job with that with, with Warner Brothers and RCA because um, yeah. it's an absolute, as you can imagine on something like this, there's so much, detail and so many parties involved in licensing some of these tracks so that was an incredible job that he did yeah cool and i um i'm not sure if was great gatsby the first film in which um baz did this kind of mashup and uh thing of using contemporary musicians for like i think if we go back to um really from the beginning oh yeah oh really i mean strictly ballroom you know uh (laughs) was the beginning of that you know, uh, situation with John Paul Young and, you know, uh, you know, u- utilising sort of like the artists of the time. I think, uh, oh, gee, have to, to, thinking back, you know. Cindy Lauper. Oh, yeah, that's right, Cindy Lauper and all that sort of thing. And then, of course, you've got, um, you know, <laughs> you know, look, 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 look at Romeo and Juliet, mm. you know, and then, of course, Moulin Rouge. I mean, that was really the first time anyone had heard anything quite like that mm. using uh, mashed up, you know, uh, tracks, modern tracks, mm. you know, from, you know, Prince to Madonna to whatever. But, um, yeah, I think it's always that, that, that that's Baz's stick. Again, it's theatre, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. But as you can imagine, like um, Elliot was just saying, the licensing on, mm. on, on Elvis was something to behold, <coughs> you know, because it wasn't just, it's not just the music too, it's, it's, it's the infrastructure of of the you know 
the written word and the and the the you know material that was used what we called sonic glue mm. where we had um, Darren Pascal our wonderful dialogue editor to go through and and our and our team here uh, researching this you know um, material that existed from commentary from headlines and all that stuff from real people mm. whether it be Hank Snow or whether any one of the Memphis Mafia all the way to people like um, the president at the time, Jimmy Carter, where all of that stuff was recorded and all of that material of, of the sonic glue, as, as we called it, is part of the atmospheric and the, and the, the drama based you know, throughout the film based on, on, on whatever the story was sort of um, uh, aiming for at that one particular time, which also sort of helped join the join the story in its cultural transitions of the mm. time you know all of that material had to be cleared mm. you know through legals at warner yeah, brothers right. you know because it's you're dealing with real quotes mm. you know um so that stuff is happening throughout and 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 adjoining with the music tracks at times mm. where it's almost becomes like part of the vocal Sort of um, a BG, if you like, within mm. the within the environment as the music's playing, mm. you know. So yeah, music and and all that stuff and and that that cross fertilization of modern, you know, and and um, older sort of like you know classic tracks is 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 Baz's stick, and it's also is allowing a, a new audience mm. to to understand it mm. you know, and to sort of like you know have some connection. To what it was and to what it is mm. now, mm. you know, and I think that's a good example. That is something like, say, on the when you go down to Bill Street um, in the film, and it's Bill Street was sort of the 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 absolutely most happening place for African American music in the in the fifties, and we did this great version of of Hound Dog um, with Shonka Dukare recording the Big Mama Thornton version, and and it sounded great, but then Baz was like, well. But who would who would that audience be listening to if if it was translated to today? And we're like, well, it'd be Doja Cat. And so we sent our version of of Shonka's track over to Doja Cat. She did that an awesome track called Vegas, um, using the material that we'd already started with as a as a starting space for her sampling. Um, and so you get this wonderful blend of feeling it. Sort of you go into the go into the space. You hear the original. It goes into Vegas. Comes back into the original. Then goes into a score piece. And um, it's a yeah a great example of how Baz sort of blends blends all the different worlds. Mm. Um, and Elliot, a question kind of specifically for you. It was um it was I I really struggled during the film to kind of tell where Elvis's music started and um, original score composition came in. So like how um how much of was there much score that was like a hundred percent original that you composed and like what percentage of the, of the soundtrack was that and how, what was like your approach to figuring out what that should be? Well, the whole idea was with the score was that I wanted to use <clears throat> as many of the Elvis themes as I could, because it's a thing, it's a film about his music and really there's the, you're blessed with so many incredible themes that it didn't make sense to be coming up with my own actual motifs. Mm. Having said that, you end up just with the storytelling, you have to do a lot of um, weaving around 
where those themes come in to bring them in in context. So I couldn't tell you what the exactual percentage was, but that very much each character theme and each sort of relationship theme definitely had an Elvis basis. So Priscilla and Elvis was Can't Help Falling in Love. Elvis's relationship with the audience was Unchained Melody, which you sort of hear as a sort of finale piece at the end. Um, the Colonel and Elvis had um, Are You Lonesome Tonight? The Colonel had a wonderfully sort of unknown track or re- relatively unknown track called Cotton Candy Lamb, which um, there was like a little four-note motif that we used out of that. Um, and I think that was most of them. Oh, Heartbreak Hotel became the Gladys theme. And so – and there are wonderful – chances that I got to sort of end up blending all of those themes together often in one piece. And that was, as a composer, that's a, it's an incredible gift to be able to have such strong melodies that are so known to audiences that you can sort of use to draw the audience through the story, even if it's only subconsciously, but they're sort of recognizing the different themes um, as you travel through. Something that I really liked about the film is uh, how much of an arc it had, which followed the story in which the f- First, I don't know if it was half, but the first, a first chunk of the film was had this intense frenetic energy, and then it kind of slowed down a bit towards the end, and it had a bit more space, and like cuts got slower and stuff as Elvis declined in like health. Um, and how uh, how did you guys like respond to that, and what was did how did you help shape the arc of the story well i think uh it, 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 what i loved about that that sort of that that arc mm. if you like the you know it, it represented elvis's energy mm. in a way so so the the opening of elvis at um at uh, the hayride and, and 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 showing his influences as that huge montage goes through from the Pentecostal times down at the Shake Rag in Tupelo, Mississippi, into into the Shake Rag, into the uh, Hayride, and the first experiences of those women that we called the Scream Queens, you know, uh, was was like was the explosion of of Elvin, Elvis onto the cultural scene, mm. and then as things went along and as he you know did the the show at Russwood Stadium and, you know, under, under threat of being imprisoned because he was, you know, upsetting the, the segregationist movement and all that sort of stuff and, you know, and, and you know, this perception of, of this man being a problem, mm. you know, for the southern states and, and America's cultural sort of like position at that time, uh, I, I think, I think the, 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 you know, the rhythms of the film reflect everything that was happening. By the time he gets shipped off to Germany um, as part of the peacekeeping force post-war and all that sort of stuff and then coming back and the movies that he made, which was across a decade, mm. you know, uh, really that wasn't the important part of the story, but you, but you, you had to blow through that in a way mm. because there wasn't a lot of story to tell there mm. except that he was... You know, one of the number one actors in the world mm. at the time, one of the highest paid actors uh, at that time. You know, whether the movies were good or not, they just made them faster, faster, cheaper, 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 because it was, you know, those, those movies that Elvis were making at that time were really f- feeding 
the rest of the film industry, mm. you know, because they're making so much money that other filmmakers could go out and, you know, actually make movies because the studios it was being supported by this kind of big money churning machine. Mm. Ultimately, as as Elvis, you know, got more and more despondent, the film started to take on that same pace. Mm. You know, so you really, you really, you're tracking it emotionally mm. throughout the thing, and you, 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 because the film centers on the relationship of the of the colonel and 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 the, his management infrastructure on Elvis and Elvis's you know uh, basically dismissive sort of attitude towards business and 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 allowing you know, the colonel to drive him mm. that way I think emotionally the story you had to stay with those two characters throughout because mm. that was the line you know, there's so much story in, in, in Elvis's life. You know, you're not going to be, you have to pick where you're going to go. You know, it, it, it's not necessarily a film about Elvis and Priscilla. It's not a film about Elvis and the Memphis Mafia. You know, it's, it's basically a film about their relationship. You've got, you know, um, you know, Elvis was the show, the Colonel was the biz. Mm. And that's what it's about. And, and it's about... Yeah, that and so I think in terms of sound, uh, design, and and if I you know with with music, the 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 weave across those periods of time, those three decades, mm. you know, just it just you're following those two characters, and that was the main that was the main thrust certainly for me mm. is to always keep the focus on those two, mm. and that was really you know the shape and 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 the structure and the rhythms of the film, mm. yeah. And I think for me musically as well, like there's so much to get through at the very beginning there where you've got so much music of his that you have to establish the world. And I think also, and you are moving, like Wayne said, you are moving through such a chronological, um, just a number of years that you have to cover. And look, and it was, it was a, there's always choices that have to be made. And I know if we had our druthers, we would have spent a lot longer in the 60s because there's some amazing music that comes out of those periods, even in some of the films that may not have been critically acclaimed, there's still, like, you get a track like A Little Less Conversation that comes out of a film that otherwise the, the critics of the day weren't loving, but it's still an absolute classic piece of music, classic piece of Elvis. So I'm sure in, in another world, and, and who knows what's going to happen, but there would have been, we would have spent more time in those decades, but we did have to cover through a lot. And also you're establishing the world at the very beginning of the film. Um, and you're trying to sort of show who this, what the trajectory is of each of the characters to start with. And like Wayne says, once you actually settle into that relationship and you understand more about who they are, you have to do less explaining and can do more following, I think. Um, and that happens on a, a script level, a sound level and a musical level as well. Wayne, you talked to the start about like the depth of you and Elliot's collaboration. Do you want to talk in a bit more detail about like what that looked like? Well, I think it became each each uh, each section became a a sort of handover. Mm. So um, we ended up throughout the process <coughs> doing four audience recruit temp mixes. Mm. Okay, so that was that was while Elliot and his team were working in Queensland. Mm. Um, myself, we had Fabian San Giorgio was effects supervisor, Andrew Miller. Um, Rick Lyle, we had Darren Pascal as the dialogue supervisor and her team with Marissa. We had 
Um, we had wonderful assistance. We had the Fowler going. So we were building, recording, building and recording throughout. When the first recruit uh, audio, and don't forget, Baz works very iteratively. Mm. So you, you, in, in, you know, at one period, you're working on a film that is that. Mm. But Baz will constantly, constantly be churning the ideas through and the, the images are changing all the time. So when the music started to come in uh, on those first recruit temp mixes, we had, we had a version that we now had to um, join together and weave the world, the sonic architecture of what we were doing in, 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 in effects work and in dialogue work. And, and th those guys were constantly feeding you know, each iteration as Baz was working very closely with Elliot and the changes and the, and the music mashups kept changing and changing. The rhythm of the cuts, the scenes kept changing. Mm. So we had to constantly follow and, and, and build our effects into the musical rhythms as, you know, uh, constantly chasing that in order to keep the beats, you know, equal and, and, and harmonious. And that included the crowds, any voice work that was happening. So, look, you know, I think as each, as each of the four temp mixes were progressing, we tried to maintain uh, uh, and keep, not throw out from our first temp through to the fourth, we were just constantly updating it mm. and, and shifting for new rhythmic beats and all that stuff. And then when it came to some scenes, like uh, when uh, uh, at the Pentecostal area, where where um, Jamison needed effects work and Elliot needed effects work to be done, we would offer up uh, a whole collection of material that they could actually put into their music track. Mm. So so the rhythms were exact, and that would come back, and we'd remix that in, and. And so it was a constant handing over, music coming to us, effects going to them and uh, to the music department and, and just, you know, basically chasing each other throughout and, and never, never, never sort of pretending that what you've done on one temp mm. is going to be there on the next. Mm. So you had to kind of just always just be open to the flow, mm. you know, and... and, and find all those new reasons why Baz has done what he's done, you know. And then, of course, there was so much uh, um, f flipping between one location to the next location or the one beat of story to the next beat of story. We had to transitionally make that work and be very smooth, mm. you know, and to, to make sure that the weaving of each of those transitions was seamlessly... Uh, uh, not not going to be not going to be sort of jarring, mm. you know. You you were you're always looking for this very smooth flow, you know, where you you're on the wave and you want to stay on the wave. You don't want to get wiped out at any point. So that was that was the mission, really. Mm. You know, is to is to keep the infrastructure very very smooth. So you so you didn't feel that you were going to jump from one thing to the other. You were transitioning mm. and weaving mm. throughout. Mm. And I think from my perspective, I mean, having, having someone who has such a musical ear as Wayne does and, and his team, it was, and having, like Wayne said, having these iterative 
audience recruit screenings. I mean, Wayne just gave so much space for the music and was so sympathetic in what he was supplying back to us that as a composer, you're often, you often don't hear what the effects are going to be until the film comes out. And you're like, oh, well, that's a shame. Like, I know there was some good music under that somewhere, but, and in this case, it wasn't. It was such a, it was such a blending and, and hearing the work that Wayne and his team had done, it's an absolute symphony in and of itself. Like, without the music, the level of detail that he went to was amazing. And having it that early meant that I also went, okay, I don't need to fill that part in. Like, Wayne's got that covered. I can just, I, there's going to be chaos there. I can do a little bit musically, but the crowd's really going to have to carry this. And also, the, just to speak quickly of the crowd work that Wayne and his team did, that became, like, a, another member of the band, really, in terms of what the music was doing. And hearing the, some of the tracks without the, without the crowds in there, it suddenly seemed incredibly naked. So that was something that I really came to depend upon when we were making our decisions about what to do musically. It was like, well, that's, I'd actually go, okay, that, that's actually going to be a crowd moment. Like, don't build up the orchestra. Don't build up the band too much there. We need to give space for the crowds to come in. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it really was. It was such a sympathetic ear that, that Wayne brought to, to what the music was doing. And, and like you said, with the, the Pentecostal work that we did, as an example, that was a track that I'd lived with for maybe two years by the time we – longer, I think, by the time we got to the final mix. And I, was, and I had that track in my head. I knew exactly how I thought it was going to work on the stage. And but the stuff that Wayne was bringing in was like, oh, there's these stomps that are coming in that are just bringing such life to it. And then the loop groups that Wayne brought in, which I was and I was sure like anything else was going to muddy it up. And we heard it and I was like, oh, I'm not sure. Let's, let's try hearing without it. And I, we took it out and suddenly the life had gone from the performance. So it really was this this blending of, of sound and music all the time. And it was it was such a, an amazing, joyful collaboration. And I think that's why hopefully when i watch the film i feel like it's this sonic bath that you get that's you don't really know where music and sound is is sort of one is handing over to each other and that's for me that's that's the absolute joy of collaboration with someone when you've got such a great team that have been put together oh it was the best experience mm. oh yeah it was the best mm. it's so good it's, it's, it's also something that i've always wanted yeah. to to happen yeah and sometimes it does in sort of uh, maybe part thereof of a movie or gee that worked well or or you know gee that that was a shame we never knew that you were doing that mm. you know yeah because it arrives late or there's some new idea that you have no chance you know in in the schedule of things to make work mm. but Baz gave us the, the the basically he gave us a lot of free reign to make this work and 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 both on schedule you know uh and and the the ability to sort of get what you needed even during the pandemic mm. you know where we were sort of stuck you know um elliot and his team were in queensland we were here in sydney all the cast were scattered all over the world you know all of our uh crowd work was done by barbara harris in the mm. united states i mean because we needed the authenticity mm. you know you're not we we were doing it properly you know so, uh, like when there was, you know, crowd work in, in, you know, in the deep south, we were getting actual authentic voices for yeah. all that stuff. And you, I, I really respect Baz for that because he will always try to do it right. Mm. And whatever it takes, we're going to do it right, mm. you know. And so, you know, incorporating all the technology that we had at our fingertips and, you know, the brave new world post-pandemic or and everything that has come from that 
where every business and every sort of um, uh, creative industry and everything, we've all had to pivot mm. to, to make it work. And I've got to say, it did, you know, and, um, you know, with the technology at our fingertips. And I don't ever feel that we were separated, mm. even though we, you know, were ultimately in, in, in that sort of like, you know, real sense, but we never were. You know, constantly on the phone to Elliot and his team, you know, throughout the process and, you know, and, and Zoom meetings and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, we were doing live mixes from my room here in Sydney to Baz's theatre up in the Gold Coast. Uh, you know, he had a full theatre. We were doing live mixing. That's cool. Yeah, it was really great, mm. you know. And so, you know, I'm hearing Baz live, you know, to try this, do that, you know. Try, try, trying to, to get into Baz's way of speaking because a lot of the time he'll speak in musical language yeah. where he'll start singing. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, you know, it's the bit where it's that and you go, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Where's that bit? Hang on. So, yeah, you... you, you Give you, me a time code. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hang on a bit. Which bit was it? Yeah, so you kind of um, you get into that wonderful sort of enthusiasm and the way he speaks, like, I remember the first time I had to mix um, the Burning Love sequence, yeah. which had voiceover throughout. Mm. It was one of the toughest deals because, you know, you've got a, a, a driving track. That is a big, big musical track. Yeah. And then you've got the colonel speaking through it and having to try to not make it jarring when the voice came in mm. against that and... Baz uses terminology like, you know, you know, make a dirty corner, you know, and you go, oh, okay, dirty corner. Hang on, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all that wonderful language and enthusiasm and thing. And, you know, the only thing I missed really, like where we had on Gatsby, is like Baz loves to conduct. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I was hearing the conducting was happening through his voice in this particular instance because it yeah. was because of the pandemic situation. But normally, you know, it, it, he's, he'll stand at the front of the console and, and he will be waving his arms around like a baton, you know, <laughs> and it's wonderful. And that actually did happen in, in uh, the final mix where we were all together mm. and, um, and we were back to, you know, that wonderful personal sort of situation. Yeah. Where as we were, the, the, our journey was nearing an end, and you know the experience. And frankly, it was uh, we were feeling everyone on the team was feeling a sense of loss in a way, be and a certain sadness that uh, you know we all went down the rabbit hole of Elvis Presley. Mm. We everyone was so enthused. Everyone we read all the whatever books we could could at the time and. Studying not not just Elvis, but you know Hank Snow, Jimmy Snow, all those characters that we dug deep, and and and, and in a way there there was a sense of loss because Elvis was our friend. Yeah, you know for for that twelve months or more. I mean Elliot was on for like three four years or something. Five, five wow. years. We see Elvis became our special friend. Yeah, and then we had to let him go to the world. Yeah, once again. Mm. Where Elvis is now back on the world stage, mm. which is such a joy, mm. you know, uh, that that a new generation will hopefully find his music and and you know have a love for him as we all did on mm. this. But yeah, it was it was a sense of loss there. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Well, I went off into an emotional tangent. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that everyone. I mean, Wade Wade is such a beautifully passionate man, but everyone everyone felt 
felt the same thing like it is it's once you've the project like this defines your life for for a period of your life and and the people that you work with become they really do become your family and often you're spending as much time if not more with these people um and and the material as you are anywhere else with with your family or, or elsewhere and so it is when one when a project ceases being available only to a very small group like that and you have to birth it out into the world it's it is it's like it's like letting your kids go out into the world for the first time and i was very lucky because i had my family working with me oh yeah so i had uh, libby mm. uh, libby villa who um you know was a coordinator and um uh, and sound supervising assistant she was with me the whole time mm. i also had my two sons also mm. who were doing all the background work uh, as well, uh, that uh, was Max and Harry. They were here doing all that work. So we we were living together, working together. Uh, uh, I found it a complete joy. I can't speak for my my sons whether they were sick to death of me, but you know it was that that really helped me. Yeah. You know, knowing that we were all in it together. Mm. You know, and, and the joy of the project. You know, and I remember like I I, I read this you know article about the film and and I thought it was so true and so lovely where this um, particular reviewer experienced in you know the film and he said that that for a few hours for a few hours mm. you know Elvis was with us again mm. through the beautiful performance of Austin Butler uh, and we saw him mm. and then we had to let him go back to where he came from. Yeah. And I remember when I read that, I thought that's exactly right. It, it was, it's, it's just like this quite, quite a beautiful moment. We actually saw Elvis again, mm. you know? Mm. All right, well, Elliot, we'll let you go now, man. But um, thank you so much for making the time when you're on holiday to chat. It was a real pleasure. Oh, look, it's such a pleasure. And again, I apologies for the, for the background noise. It's... <laughs> That's all good. Not, not, not the environment I was, I was hoping to, to speak to you in. But, um, but no, look, it's a real, real pleasure and always, always a, a joy to, to chat with Wayne as well. Um, yeah, lovely, lovely to see you. Very special experience that we shared together. And it's, um, yeah, so it's, we, I could talk about it for hours. So it's been an absolute pleasure to spend the time. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to Wayne and Elliot for making the time to chat, and especially Elliot, considering he was on holiday with his family. That was really nice of you, Elliot. Thanks heaps. Um, and as usual, thanks to Jean-David Legoulon for the original music and transitions. I will catch you guys next time. <laughs>